Friends, what you're going to hear about a lot today is centered around the word definition. What is it that defines us? What is it that defines us as people of God? What is it that defines us as a church? What is it that defines us as families or individuals? This scripture out of 1 John helps us get there this morning. Linda. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. As we explore mothers today, the second scripture is one that just continually kind of reminds us of what it can be like being parents every once in a while. This is the story of Jesus being left behind at the temple when he was 12 years old. I asked for a service. Anybody ever left your child behind somewhere accidentally? You don't have to raise your hands. It's okay. Anybody ever been left behind somewhere? Yeah, it's, it's part of life, but... Do you remember that feeling of anguish? Do you remember that feeling of loss and nervousness? And there's a phrase at the end of this that describes Mary. See if you can pick it out. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. When they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. One of these days I'm going to preach on that passage in a much more succinct way. The lines that we miss in that are so incredible He was there three days without his parents. And then then he comes back with this incredible statement of, can you just hear the 12-year-old? Can you hear the tone? But my favorite line, two lines at the end of that are, he went back to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. I just want to know what happened. What What did Dad Joseph say? Particularly, what did Ma... Mary say, and then the fact that she treasured all these things in her heart. As I began to kind of look at today, I I began and was going to preach on that, but decided to go a different direction about midweek and tell you the story of this woman. And I'm going to read it rather than try and do it from memory. 
She grew up in rural Oklahoma in one of the most dysfunctional families I've ever heard of. The everyday tension in her home was palpable. Her parents disliked each other on a level that could not be described, but few were aware of the tension in the home. It was one of the darker family secrets. Her father was the senior editor of the Daily Oklahoman newspaper, a high-visibility job that required certain, shall we say, appearances. It was, of course, the South. There were but two children, and she was the oldest. Her younger sister was beautiful from the day she was born and remained beautiful up and through the time that she was first runner-up in the Miss America pageant. This older sibling was constantly reminded of what she was lacking, what was lacking in her, reminded almost every day. What she did was never good enough, and she certainly couldn't compare to her younger sister in any area. Again, the continual barrage of negativity took its toll, and again, appearances were everything, so nobody knew, and she was not allowed to talk about it. But then came the divorce. It was unheard of in that time, and the time that we're dealing with is the mid-40s. The divorce was exceedingly ugly, parts of which were plastered now on the society pages of the Daily Oklahoman. A short time later came the new stepfather. He was an alcoholic and was abusive in ways that no one could have imagined. It seemed to trigger something in her mother, and the mother then also became physically abusive. It was physical in ways that I simply can't describe in this message. To be as graphic as I would need to be would be a disservice to this worship, to her and to each of you on this Mother's Day, but suffice it to say that it was terrible. Yet out of all that, something ignited in her. Not anger, not some kind of victim mentality, something much, much deeper and much more. She was bright she was a deep thinker and had a gauging personality in spite of what she'd heard and the significant challenges she'd faced over the years. Early on, she began to set goals, goals that went well beyond simply getting out. She graduated from high school, went on to college, and graduated with honors with a teaching degree. That wasn't enough for her. Although she found something in education that sparked a deep sense of grasping knowledge and sharing it, she then applied to graduate school, again, unheard of in her family and even in that time. And the graduate school that she applied to was a seminary. And now we're in the early 1950s. Again, seminary, woman, unheard of. She was accepted, believe it or not, and became one of the first recipients of the Georgia Harkness Award at Garrett Evangelical Seminary. It was a scholarship that would do a significant amount to pay for her graduate education because her parents certainly wouldn't and didn't agree at all that she should be where she was at this time. But off she went, unsure of what the future might hold, yet willing to take on this adventure. But what she didn't plan was to fall in love. And she fell hard. He was tall and dark, handsome, a man from Louisville, Kentucky. And I will tell you, as he was also preparing for seminary, just so you know, there was not an abusive bone in his body. 
that brings us to the place where the story takes a bit of a twist. In her deep wisdom, and because of her life experience, scars of which were both internally deep and externally seen on the surface of her skin, she made a decision. She, even then, knew that abuse was cyclical and was concerned that she would somehow do to her children, yet unborn, what had been done to her. So she made a covenant that she would not be defined by those scars and would not mete out similar scars on her yet unborn children. She made a commitment to those children to stop what had become something she recognized as a generation-through-generation cycle of severe abuse. But even her commitment to the children that were yet to come grew deeper over time and expanded to so many others, many of whom she would never meet face-to-face. Hundreds, if not thousands, of lives that she was able to influence because of what defined her. What was born out of that was a deep compassion for those who suffered, a gentleness that was more profound than probably any I've ever seen or experienced, a level of love and acceptance that goes well beyond expectation, and an even deeper desire to help those who themselves were being abused in any way including not being accepted by their own families. Those are the things. Those were the elements. Those were the foundations of what defined her. These were the things that were at the heart of who she was and even who she is. Her name? Her name then was Betty Wynn. She married Paul Jennings Beeman. I just described my mother on this Mother's Day. I believe it was the first time that Cora ever heard her story. We're going to celebrate Mother's Day this afternoon, and I want to assure you all that I had permission to share every bit of this with you. I celebrate Mother's Day every day knowing that the decisions she made long before I was born determined in a much more significant way than my father who I am, what I strive to be, what I strive to do, and what I hope is definitive in me. I still struggle with that past. I think all of us do. But what we've seen throughout our lives were so many examples of her compassion, her acceptance, her grace, her love, that they simply can't be contained in a message like this one. I know it's Mother's Day, and I wasn't sure whether or not to share this with you. I know it's tough to hear, but the reason I shared it with you is because we're talking about mission. We're talking about mission. And we spend so much time about this word, and that mission has become this buzzword that comes out of business. When, when we're dealing with churches, it has to be so much more than that phrase that we try and carry and memorize as a church. What mission is for a church is that those things that absolutely define every single thing that we do. 
They're based out of experiences that we've had as a congregation, that we've had, that we bring together as individuals in this church. Mission. And I want to share with you now one more time that there are three things as I look at Aldersgate that I I now recognize as what defines us. First, we love God. We love this source of creation. We love this being that, that just continues to move through us. Do we love God in the same way, every one of us? Absolutely not. And that's what is so exciting is that we can share with each other where we are in this love. And some of us are, are maybe deeper or farther along. Some of us are in different places and we recognize that God isn't the same for each of us. And yet, that brings us to number two. We love each other. And even as we look at that, we love each other in completely different ways, often bringing our own life experiences to this place, believing that it's okay to just be ourselves in the midst of this place and to love each other from where we are, knowing that as we share that love with each other, we then become recipients of that love, and it goes deeper. Again, I shared with first service, reminded of what I said last week about that love. That we seek to be that church of love, and I was reminded Thursday evening that not just you have that work to do. I have that work to do too in dealing with two staff members that I sought forgiveness from just for things that that came up. And we all have this work to do, and I just I want to confess that to you today. And we're doing okay, Um, but we're all in that place. But there's a third area that defines us. That area is that we serve. We seek to serve. And some of us serve by just trying to serve our families. That's about all we can do right now, and that's okay. Other of us serve our neighborhoods and look around and see those places where, where we can have influence on our neighborhoods or even our neighborhood schools. Other of us take it on. I, three women went out to Hammond House early, early this morning to serve those women. And so we serve at Hammond House or Sophia Way or Together We Build or such a wide array of places within this region where we seek to serve. And yet there are others of us who even go beyond that and find those places in the world, whether it's the Congo or Ethiopia, the Philippines or anywhere else, even Nepal, And we serve. We love God. And know that we are loved by God. We love each other and seek to deepen that love with each other, creating opportunities where that can go deeper. And we serve. Love God. Love each other. Serve. As I think about us, That's where I see our mission. And everything that I am thinking about now as far as where we go from here as a church is centered on those three statements. But now let's go full circle. I've talked about what defines my mom. I've talked about what I believe defines the church. The deeper question that I have for you this morning is, what defines you? What defines you? 
And maybe more importantly today, what defines your family? I think every one of us needs a personal mission statement. You ever written one for yourself? Think about that. What defines you as a person? What would that personal statement be? It it becomes something, particularly when we do it in our families, and it's something that, that is so desperately needed right now in society today. Family mission statements. I feel so strongly that what's happened in the past number of years is that kitchen table family has crumbled at the edges. And what's replaced it is television or computer or Twitter or texting or the wide array of other things. Yes, even the iPad. But that has become, to some extent, the defining factor within families anymore. And yet I know out of research that as a family comes together and comes together and talks about what defines them, that family and those children become much less at risk. That, that defining statement becomes something to fall back on, something that adds strength to the foundation of that family, something that can help define what is done, where they go or how they are with each other and what lay at the root of any decision that's made that affects the family. I want to encourage you to take time to do this, no matter your configuration, whether you're just a couple or a single or have children, whether they're at home or beyond, take the time to do this. So here's a process that I want to give to you, and particularly those who have children at home right now. I want to encourage you to sit with your children and ask them these questions. What is it that defines us? What is this family all about? What do you see or feel or sense or understand this family to be? What are the values that we try and live out? And then I want to encourage you, parents, to sit back and be quiet. Sit back and be quiet. And allow it to emerge. Don't get defensive. There's no need. But just listen. Our children have a tendency to live out, to live out what they've seen and heard. And that brings us to the second part of this process. The second question then is, so given that, what do we want to be? What do we want to have those definitive things be? What do we want to be as a family? And then third is the action piece. How do we get there? Let's talk about a process that gets us to where we want to be. What will define us? What actions do we need to take at this point? And friends, I don't care how young or old your children are. It's never too late to do this. But I also say to you again, if, if you're an individual, those questions are as pertinent for you as they are for any family. Today we examine mission. Mission is not a statement. Mission is something that lives out in our DNA. It goes so much deeper than anything, any other thing that defines us. So, what is your mission? And the final question in the midst of all of this, whether it's for you as an individual, for us as a church, for us as a family, is what does God need us to be? What does God need us to be as individuals? What does God need us 
to be in our families, including our children? What does God need us to be as a church? What is that witness that moves beyond these doors? That is that needed voice in the world today? I close with this thought. We came out of our international gathering a fractured denomination. All of us brought that feeling to the Board of Ordained Ministry meetings, and it's that, that gathering of about nine or ten of us that sit and then interview potential clergy who are coming toward the end of their ordination process. The fracturing that took place in Tampa, Florida, was the first thing that every one, all 17 of those folks talked about as we sat at the interviewed and, interviews and asked them how they were doing. What broke my heart was hearing how many then questioned their call in a denomination that closes its doors to acceptance and continues to retain a language that keeps people away. And yet I will also tell you, I will also tell you that without exception, the last question that we asked them is, why then do you want to become a United Methodist pastor? And every one of them talked about their call. Every one of them talked about being prophetic and speaking God's love of acceptance, God's love of invitation, God's love of definition. Every single one of them. And I will also confess to you that one of the things that happened around those tables is that we would interview them and they would leave and then we would talk as a group about whether we felt they were ready to take on a church as a fully ordained clergy. We argued. We fought sometimes vehemently about their readiness. You hear that? But, but, decided that what would define us as a group would be love. And so we were able, even within the midst of our disagreements, to walk out of that room every time arm in arm, celebrating our diversity, celebrating our diversity, knowing that it is in diversity that we become richer in our own faith, in our own journey and prayed for the next general conference that they too would be able to find that loving acceptance in the midst of diversity what defines you not what is your mission what defines you I've told you what defines my mom and I will forever cherish and respect and admire that and seek to live it out every single day of my life. What defines you?